Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Somebody said at my age, it's good to see anybody. And you know, I'm not a technology guy. I have fought it my whole life. Even when I got into archery, I wanted the most bare basic bow you could get. I got a recurve bow, no sights, and instinctive shooting. <clears throat> and uh, then, you know, life happens and technology moves along and you got to have it. But uh, I'm starting to wonder if that uh, GPS on my phone maps is, has been a godsend to me. As looking at maps now on a real map is getting problematic. <laughs> so, uh, but it's good to see you this morning. I feel like the Lord has given me a word for you. It, processed in my heart and mind over the period of about three months, and I was reading through it during daily devotions, and the Lord took me uh, to this verse in Psalms uh, 70, 74, Psalm 74. I'm going to briefly read 7411, and then we're going to move on to some other things, and we're going to come back to that. We're just going to come back to that towards the end of this sermon, so you bear with me. I've got a lot of scriptures. But as pastor would say, it's okay if we read the word of God in the house of God, right? All right, hallelujah. <clears throat> Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this day. It's your day. It's a day you created. You said we should rejoice and be glad in it. You didn't ask us how we felt. You didn't ask us if we were mad, upset, beat down. You, you didn't ask that. You just said, it's a day I've made. Rejoice and be glad in this day. And so, Father, we give you thanksgiving for this day. It's your day. It's the Lord's day. Father, right now, their hearts grieving, God. We stand with the, the families in Uvalde, Texas, Lord. We lift up those families right now who are suffering unimaginable heartache. Lord, unspeakable grief this morning, God. We, we put our hearts with them, and we weep with them, God. Ever since this tragedy happened, Lord, my heart's been broken over it, Father, and I have been in prayer for them. Lord, it just seemed like every moment of the day, Lord, it would cross my mind. And so, Father, we pray, Holy Spirit, you'd come and bring peace as only you can bring. And we leave that in your hands, God, for you're the only one that can bring peace in the midst of this type of grief. Father, I thank you, Holy Spirit. We need you this morning. <clears throat> in you, I live and move and have my being, Father. And so, Father, I thank you that I need you, Holy Spirit. I have to have you. I'm just a man up here speaking my words if it's not your words inspired by the Holy Spirit, God, then I'm nothing but a big symbol making noise. So, Father, let every word I would say fall to the ground and everything that you want to say, God, be remembered in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, so like a, <coughs> pardon me. <coughs> Allergies getting me this morning. Like I said, it's been a period of a couple months, two, three months. I was reading this during devotion time, and um, it really hit me hard. And it was just this one verse, and the Lord took me through all these uh, verses because of that and brought this to my mind. And so in Psalm 74, uh, verse 11, it says, Why do you withdraw your hand, even your right hand, take it out of your bosom, and destroy them? And so a little background in the preceding verses, the psalmist is 
complaining about what has happened. And so Israel has been attacked by the Babylonian Empire and they have went in, they have destroyed the temple, they have taken the holy things of God, they have profaned them. They're mocking God saying, these people that served you and you brought out of Egypt and all, and, and that's what it says there in verse, uh, back up in verse 10, it says that, um, how long will the adversary reproach, which means to revile, make fun of, and will the enemy blaspheme your name forever? And so the psalmist is complaining. He's bellyaching. He's saying, why is this going on? And why aren't you doing something? Your hand is in your bosom, your right hand. And so we're going to elaborate a little bit on what that may mean. When we talk about <clears throat> the wrath of God, right? And um, we know that the wrath of God is being poured out. It has been poured out. It was tipped. Right, so think of it in human terms, a big bowl, right? The Bible's full of terminology to help us understand really hard things. So like when we talk about God in the Bible, they use anthropomorphic terminology. They say God used his hands or his feet or swift. You know, it's anthropomorphic terms to help you understand a being that is beyond your capability to fully understand, right? And so, we talk about the wrath of God and, and these bowls, the bowls of God's wrath being poured out in the end times. But when Adam fell in the garden, understand the enormity of what took place. It affected everything. It changed man's lifespan from forever to a limited lifespan. And then over a period of time, it even affected the heavens, the protective covering around the earth so that all the ultraviolet rays from the sun would begin to pour in. It's why we see man's lifespan begin to drop off. We see thorns and thistles and every poisonous creature come about from that time because of the tipping of the wrath of God. God did not tip that bowl over, understand. Man tipped that bowl of wrath being poured out on the earth. And that's really what I'm, I'm talking about today. The wrath of God, the wrath of God the title of my sermon is God's Heartache, God's Heartache. But I'm going to start out by talking about the wrath of God. And is it really his wrath or is it the consequences of our action? The consequences of our action. What's interesting is that in the Bible, wrath is mentioned over 190 times, the word wrath. And in the Bible also, there over 490 times, it talks about God showing his wrath. Did you know that of the 490 times that it mentions God's wrath being shown, that over 440 times in the, New, the Old Testament, it was against his people. And it was only after they had been given the law of Moses. After they had been given the law of Moses. So we know that it's consequential. They were supposed to follow the law. When they didn't, this wrath poured out. God was not sitting up there pointing his finger, zapping the Israelites. It's a consequence. So if we read that and we see all these times, we may think, man, is, does this mean we serve a vengeful, angry God? Is that what that's saying? And I would say no. Because what you don't understand, you know, could we be missing something? Because in the themes of the Bible, God's goodness, his mercy, his long-suffering are far bigger themes than his wrath. 
But it's interesting when you do a study of the Bible that the wrath always generates around, it's consequential. They didn't do this, they broke God's law. And we only see it after the giving of the Mosaic law. I want to take you to some scriptures here. I want you to turn to Romans. We're going to go from there way back. We're going to be jumping around a lot. So if you learn nothing today, you will learn where books of the Bible are at. Turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Let's look at who's, who's to blame. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Who is it revealed against? The ungodliness of men, unrighteousness of men, those who suppress the truth. Flip over to Romans 2. Right there it is. should be right there. I'm sorry. Romans 2, verse 5. It says, let me get my glasses. Got to love getting old. Oh, there you go. Romans chapter 2, verse 5, it says, But in accordance with, your, with the, your hardness and your impotent heart, that means unrepentant, you are treasuring up for yourselves. You're storing up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation, revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good for glory, honor, and immortality. Now understand there it says um, continuance in doing good. Now doing good works doesn't save you. Good works is an outward sign of an inward change. If you don't have good works, signs of good works in your life, there's been no inward change. Don't tell me you're repentant and there's no contrition. You want forgiveness? There has to be contrition. How can I be sorrowful for my sins and be just like, <whistles> hey, God, forgive me. You know, I, I was living like a whoremonger and a, or a drug addict and a thief. Or I maligned everybody's character around me. I tore down my coworkers with my words so that I could get to a, a better place and a better job. So forgive me for that. All right, we're good? All right. That's not repentance. I'm sorry. Whenever I see someone come before the Lord and they encounter the living, holy God, there is fear, there is trembling, their knees buckle. They face plant before the living God. And they say, you are holy, you are clean, and my best, my good, my righteousness before you is filthy rags. Everywhere in that book, Everywhere. I've never seen a human being stand in audacity with a straight backbone before the living God. Nowhere. An encounter with God takes men and it makes them undone. It pulls them apart at the seams. It pulls at the strings of their garments and just unlooses them. And if that is not happening in your life when you are in repentance, then something's wrong. You're not repenting. And this says that we can eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory. 
How am I seeking for glory? Continuance and doing good. Yeah, I got saved by a free gift of grace. But that changed something in me, and no longer do I live for myself in this narcissistic bubble that I used to be in. Now I'm living for you, God. Now I'm putting others before myself. Philippians says, esteem others higher than yourself. Let them go first. You take the lower seat. That's what Jesus always taught. He never taught. Jesus never taught, sow your $1,000 seed into my ministry, and I'll give you a seat up front. He never taught it. I stopped listening to a preacher that I really liked and enjoyed because he told me, I saw on TV, and he said, salt partners. When salt partners sow $1,000, they get special seating. And I stood up, and I almost screamed and threw my Bible at the TV. I was like, you're in error. That is totally contrary to the word of God. That says you don't give this rich man a place of honor over the poor man. You're a hypocrite. And I saw that and I'm like, God, where are we missing it? Are we creating rice Christians? Or in India 60 years ago, we called them rice bag Christians. They would get saved because when they did and get saved and baptized, they knew they would get a bag of rice and they would get, you know, help. And when bad times came, they had no religious conversion. They just turned back to their old ways, their old pagan gods, because, well, your God stopped giving me a bag of rice. And are we raising rice bag Christians in the U.S.? Well, there's no contrition. There's no true repentance. There's no willingness, as Tozer would say, to endure the ministry of the night when everything is stripped from you when you serve God because everything in you is no good. Only the things that God puts in you are good. The, the heart, the Bible says, is evil, deceitfully evil and wicked above all things. My heart desires those things that are not godly, and it needs to be put to death every day, Paul said. Every day. No one is immune, least of all me. He goes on, he says, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath is being stored up for you. Verse nine, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also to the Greek. Nobody's immune. We can't be self-seeking. See, we like to talk about the big sins, murder, adultery, that sort of thing. This is self-seeking. If you've stepped on people's heads and hearts to get to a higher place in your job, you're just as bad as the whoremonger, the thief, or the murderer. You you are. Because you've murdered somebody's character to get where you're at. We like to pick and choose those sins. We like to say, well, that one, I don't do that one. (laughs) Really? Which one do you do? Which one's yours? See, I know which one's mine. God slapped me in the face about it time and time again. You don't know how many black eyes I got from God. You don't know how many times he beat my tail in the woodshed. Why? Because he loved me, not because he wanted to harm me. He didn't want me to go back into the filth that he drug me out from. He didn't want his name to be blasphemed by my unrepentant lifestyle anymore. 
And God pulled me up out of that filth. And I am a reproach upon his name when I return to that filth. The wrath of God is being poured out. Turn to Ephesians. Oh, let's see. Ephesians chapter 5. I think that's my verse. Yes. Ephesians 5, verse 3. Now, he's telling you. He says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to us. Obviously, he needed to tell us to not let this be named among us for a reason. He said, don't let this be named among you. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting. That's all them dirty jokes. Coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person. Now we're thinking, yeah, there you go. Fornicators, they ain't entering in. Nor covetous man. Do you know what covetousness is? You say, well, he's got something I wanted. Covetousness is a lifestyle. It's an insatiable, carnal need where you never have enough and you will step on others to get what you need, what you desire in your heart because your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? And it wants those things. It covets those things. And you know that opens you up to all manner of evil and you will do things you never thought you would do because you covet that. You will work way too many hours, not because you just need the money to pay the bills, but because you want the bigger boat or the bigger house or the new car, and you steal time from your wife and your children. That's a sin. We think the big things, the fornicators. Well, what about the covetous man? <clears throat> a covetous man who is an idolater, verse 5 has any, none of them will have any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, what things? The list we just read. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. He's, he's warning them. You, you came out of that lifestyle. It's easy to try to slip back into that. You get there and you're like, where's that line at, God? That's the line I stepped over into life. And that's my old life. If I, if I get my toe across, am I still saved? See, you need to be moving as far from that line as you can. You need to be in a dead run with your back to that thing. Because the Bible says we're not like those that turn back once we've put our hands to the plow. You see, because when we're around the world, and I'm not saying we, we can't, we have to be in the world, but if you're participating in that lifestyle, you stink. The Bible says we need to be the fragrance of Christ diffused in the earth. When you participate in that, you go back to that, just a little bit. You know all you gotta do is walk, a guy can be there by a campfire all day long. All day long. And you know you walk up for just a minute and stand there and you'll smell as much like smoke as he does. You can't participate in that. Stop trying to see how close to the line you can walk and run from it. God has equipped you to run the race. You're moving away from your old self, your old life, those old things that drug you down. 
Your flesh is addicted to those things. Your heart wants those things. That part of you has to die. And death is not pretty. It's ugly. It's hard and it's painful. But you need to die to those things. Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 5. It says, Therefore put to death in your members which are on the earth fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, we just learned that covetousness describes the insatiability of human, human carnality, and it can never be enough. And it is an idol to us. We worship things. We worship position. We worship our name being on a door somewhere. Why? Because, verse 6, because of those things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So he's giving you a, 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 just a really solemn warning. All right. Like I said, I'm sorry, I've got a lot of scriptures, so I'm turning there. Psalms, go to Psalms 18, 35. I think that's right, yep. I done preached my mouth dry. We talk about the wrath of God being poured out, storing up for yourselves. What holds back that wrath? Throughout scripture, we read about the right hand of the Lord holding back things or upholding me. You ever seen one of these? If it'll work. It's funny, I can send an email now, but I can't open an umbrella. Which is a big deal for me. I know, y'all don't, it's no big deal for you to send an email. You do it with your eyes closed. Most of you probably do it in your sleep because you work from home. Stop it. You'll work too late at home. Take a break. Enjoy your family. Smell the cool air in the mornings. Listen to the birds. It sounds better than the news. This thing is an umbrella. Now, have you ever used an umbrella and stayed completely dry? Me neither. Even the big ones that come down here, it's got like a thing you can see through it so big, you still get wet. It's, it's raining sideways some days and you're like this or whatever. It's splashing up on you. Think of God's right hand as this umbrella. When you get saved, you're out here. You know, you're lost. And when you get saved, you're back under that. You're, you're under that restoration you just stepped right onto the right hand of God. Listen to me. Life happens. It rains on the just and the unjust, the evil and the good. And we get water on us in this life, even under this umbrella. 
So I'm not talking about perfect protection from everything. We go through things sometimes because God allows them. We go through things sometimes because the enemy is attacking us. We go through things sometimes just because it's life and the, the rain is splashing by the umbrella. But if you can think of God's protection as his right hand, that covering, it's this umbrella. It's, a, it's like a protection for you. What holds back that wrath? Look at Psalm 18:35. It says, you have also given me the shield of your salvation. It says the shield of God's salvation, your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. Not God's anger didn't make you great. His gentleness made you great. Because we gotta have mercy if we're gonna go out into a lost and dying world. We gotta have gentleness of spirit, gentleness of heart, gentleness of mind. Don't forget where you came from. Your gentleness has made me great. Your right hand has held me. All right, turn to Psalm 48. According to your name, O God, so is your praise in the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Now, we know that righteousness, if I'm, if I'm righteous, right, righteous to be means not that I'm so perfect and holy, but I'm in right standing with God. His hand is full of right standing for me. When I step into that as, as a believer, then I'm brought into right standing with God, right relationship. And there his hand is extended over me and under me. Turn to Isaiah 41. Told you we were bouncing around a lot. Isaiah 41, verse 10. What time is it? He says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. Now, there's a lot of comfort in it. Think about what the word dismayed is. It's like, I don't, why is this happening? What's going on? And I'm turning in circles, and I don't know which way to turn. He's saying, when that happens, remember, I'm your God. I'm your God. Be not dismayed, for I... I am your God, I will strengthen you, yes, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, right hand. It's always the right hand of God that's doing that, right? Upholding, covering us. So where's the disconnect? Where are we missing it? Where does the wrath come in? Remember I said earlier, wrath is consequential. It's really a product, it's the consequences of our action. Understanding because God is omniscient does not mean that he directed, because we have what's called the direct will of God and the permissive will of God. The direct will of God is those things that he directs to happen. He said this is going to happen. And then his permissive will are those things that he allows to happen. So we see that in the Garden of Eden. Because God is omniscient, he's all-knowing, and he knew sin would enter in, does not mean that God directed sin to come into the earth. It means that because he wanted man to worship him of a free will, he gave man free will. He didn't want man to worship him as a robot 
I love you, God, because you're making me love you. Who wants that? I want my wife to love me because of the handsome, awesome, strong man that I am. Not because I programmed her to love me. Now look, y'all can go some places with that man. Like, yeah, I could program her to do a lot of different things. See, I'm not going there. I'm smarter than you in that respect. You don't want somebody to love you because they have to. You purchase a robot. I don't want to purchase love. And God didn't make us as an automaton, a robot. He gave us a free will. But you know the best word that describes free will? Drug. God gave us the free will, but it's also a drug. And drugs can be good. They can relieve our pain, but they also can be addictive, and they have many bad side effects. Free will to make good choices. We also have a free will to make bad ones. And that's why I always call it the drug of free will. Because like any dangerous drug that is, can be used for good or evil, we need to handle it with care. Don't ever take for granted what you have in free will. It's almost like radioactivity, a radioactive isotope. It can be useful, but it can also be devastating. And God gave us a free will. And where's the disconnect? Our free will. So when we look at Isaiah 59, turn there if you will. Isaiah 59, verse 1. Fifty-nine of, of Isaiah verse one. Start reading there. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. God's still strong, he's still alert, he's still articulate, he's listening. His arm is ready to save and uphold and shelter and protect and heal. God hasn't changed. He doesn't change. The Bible says, out of his own mouth, God said, I, the Lord God, change not. Verse 2 says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. Man, I was right here. I had my face out here for you. See, when we go to God, let's go to his, to his face. I want to see his eyes. I don't want his hands, what he can give me. From his very nature and his very heart, he will give me gifts. But I just want to go to daddy and I want to see his face. You know why? For me, because I want to be where God is. I don't want to be where he's been. We had some powerful revivals in the past in this nation. Great men of God. But we need the revival God has for us today. What is he doing for us today? I want the fresh bread of revival today. I want to get on my face and say, Holy Spirit, what do you want in our nation? What do you want in our county? What do you want in my home? In me? What do you want in me? Start with me, God. I want to see it in this church, but God's got to start with me first. I don't want to be a rice bag Christian. I just serve you because I want fire insurance. 
I want relationship with you, God. I want to see your face, God, because when I'm looking at your face and if your eyes move to the left, then I know he's moving to the left. If I'm staring at your face, God, and your eyes move to the right, I know he's moving to the right. And no one will need to teach me. I will do a new thing, he says, and will you not know it? You know why the only reason why you won't know if God's about to do revival? Because you're not looking in his face. It says in Ecclesiastes that you are of purer eyes than to behold wickedness. When I am living a compromised life as a Christian, God cannot behold me in the face. You will try to look upon the face of the Almighty to see his eyes, but you can't because your iniquities have separated you from your God. His face is turned away from you, not because he hates you or loathes you, but his eyes are too pure to look at evil, and he will not behold wickedness. It says it in the book. Your eyes are pure, and you will not look at wickedness. And when I am participating in my old life, I can't see where God's going because I can't see his eyes because my sin has separated me from my God. And his ear that's ready to hear and his hand that's ready to protect aren't there because he can't look, it says. He won't look, and his heart is breaking because he loves you, and he knows the filth that he pulled you out of better than you know yourself. He says, I want to do great things in you, son, mighty things. I want to show you things no one has ever seen. I want to bring revival in the land. The land is dry, it's parched, it's gripped by fear and anxiety and panic. And you have the answer. But you've muddled back into your sin. And you got back close to it. And that muddy pit is slick around the edges. And when you get close, one step, and you slide right back into the filth. And the man that was saying, I'll never do that again, walked too close, and he slipped right back in again before you knew it. And you're laying there covered in the same stench and filth that my God died to bring you out of. The Bible says that when we go and we sin again after we've been saved and we walk back into that, that we crucify the Lord of glory afresh and anew. We nail him back on the cross. Think about what I just said. Did you know the word excruciating did not exist until the crucifixion? They had to invent a word that described it. It was so bad. Excruciate. Latin, it means out of the cross, a pain that can only come from, cruci- from crucifixion. And when I go back into my old lifestyle, I am crucifying him afresh and anew. And I read that scripture one time, and God gave me this image of pu- taking the dead body of my Lord and throwing him up on my shoulder. And I had no shirt on, and he was covered in blood and sweat and spit and dirt. And I struggled, and I fought, and I put him with vigor, and I nailed him back on that tree. Now, God showed me that in my mind. He said, that's what happens when you as a believer go back into the things that you were brought out of, son. And I'm like, oh, wow. (laughs) That changed everything about that verse for me. See, God has ministered to me about going back into my old lifestyle. I'm not talking about the loss. I'm talking about us as believers, When a righteous man falls, he's like a polluted well. It causes many to fall. 
And those who may be on the edge of being saved, they step away because they say he's no different. What he said was a lie because his life is shouting down the words that he said to me. It's just the way it is. It's not pretty. It's painful. But there's a process to your pain. There's a purpose to that pain. The ministry of the night is painful when God strips away everything that you trust in, everything that you've depended on, and he says, I'm your source, and everything, your righteousness is filthy rags. It's painful. Back to Isaiah 59. He says, your sins and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Your hands are defiled with blood. Have you murdered your co-worker's name? You murdered him by murdering his name, you see? We think in terms of killing somebody. We can kill their character and be just as guilty of murder. Your fingers with inequity, meaning you're not equal. You're not dealing equally with everyone. You treat others differently so that you can get a place ahead, maybe a little financial gain. Inequity, iniquity. In all of your ways, you're unjust. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, no one, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and they speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity or inequity by their actions. What are we saying in all that? How does that even relate back to the verse that I read to you at the beginning of this sermon? The opening verse, go back to Psalm 74. This is where we're gonna stay and we're gonna camp out here. Psalm 74, I'm going to read actually 74 verse 1 by itself. And then I'm going to drop down to verse 9. Psalm 74, 1 says, and this is the psalmist saying, O God, why have you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Now he's talking about the children of God the people of God. So I just want to make that clear who he's talking about here. If you drop down to verse 9, it says, we do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet, nor is there any among us who knows how long. I mean, how long is this going to go on? There's no word from the Lord. There was no word given when that's happening. We've got preachers on TV that are speaking a bunch of hot air words, and none of it's filled with anointing, none of it's filled with power. It's all about self-enhancement, life-enhancement theology. None of it is about brokenness and repentance. None of it is about that that people are living in sin. None of it is about that. None of it is about self-sacrifice. A.W. Tozer said that we were never destined to, to be on a, in a calm sea, always with the wind in our face. We were never meant to live in the sunny side of the bray. The bray is a sheltered harbor. It's an old English word. 
It's a sheltered harbor where a ship would be and there's no wind and there's no waves. He said, we were never destined to be like that. Jesus always had the wind in his face. He always suffered opposition because he was going against the norm, against the grain of the world. And we are the same. And when we teach people and, and we don't teach them a right, we teach them it's all about life enhancement. God will give you peace and joy and happiness. But many times he gives you those things in the midst of adversity and pain and anguish. And we set people up for failure because we don't teach them about the enormity of sin and its consequences. We don't teach them that sometimes it's hard. I was battling a while, it's been years back, and I was talking to the devil going down the road. I said, you must be an idiot. I said, you definitely are not omniscient because you're not all-knowing. Because if you could read my mind, you would see I am not going to quit. I don't care how bad it gets. And I said to him, I said, if I got to lay on my belly, and I had visions of when I was a kid digging in the ground playing G.I. Joes and army men, and I'd come in with dirt under my fingernails, and mama would say, Lord, have mercy. It's going to take three days to get you clean. And I had grass and dirt packed under my fingernails riding down the road in my mind. I said, I will claw my way forward an inch at a time. Bless God, but I don't care what kind of hell comes. I am not going to quit. I'm not going back to the hell I came from. I will not be that man again. I'm not going to do it. I've gone through too much. I've paid a price to be where I am now. And you're not going to steal it from me. When the enemy comes and tries to tempt you to go back to that old lifestyle, he's trying to steal from you every victory that you had and take you back to square one. Don't let him do it. Don't let him do it. You're not going to rob from me the good things that God has done in my life because my heart needs to be put to death today. Every day. We don't see your signs. Oh God, how long will the adversary reproach? How long will he mock, revile? How long will the enemy blaspheme your name? Will the enemy blaspheme your name forever? He asked the question. And then verse 11, and that's the pivotal verse of the whole sermon. Why do you withdraw your hand, even your right hand? He says, take it out of your bosom and destroy them. And that's where God took me. In that moment of time when he showed me that very, that one verse. He said, why, son, that God speaks to me in my spirit, man. I've never heard his voice audibly. Would love to. I don't know that I could stand it, but I'm up for it. Because if I die in his presence, then glory to God. It's better than dying while living for the devil. But in my spirit, man, he said to me, why, did he say, withdraw your hand, your right hand? Remember what that hand does for us from your bosom. Why do you think it was at my chest to start with, son? Why? It's not because I was being mean. I'm like, no. It's because my heart was broken. My heartache, son. When you participated in evil, in your sin, oh, God's heartache. When Israel, they blamed me for the consequences of their own sin, is what he told me that day. 
They killed their babies. They had mad sex orgies and women got pregnant. They had the babies and sacrificed them to the God of Molech in the Valley of Hanan. Nothing has grown there to this day. It's a trash heap. It was a trash burning heap when Jesus was alive and he pointed to that valley and said, you see that? That's what the fires of hell are like. Nothing is held back. And he said when they participated in that and then all hell came against them and they blamed me and said I wasn't helping them when I'm over here struck and pierced through the heart because they have left me, the one who bore them, the one who created them, the one who brought them out of Egypt, who fed them in the desert, in the wilderness, who sheltered them with a cloud by day against the sun and a pillar of fire to bring heat at night. And when you, son, return to your vomit like a dog and you wonder why all hell's breaking loose against you, it's not because I hate you and I don't want to protect you, but you've stabbed me through the heart, son. You have broken my heart and my hand is withdrawn. And you say, God, why aren't you protecting me? God, why aren't you saving me? Why aren't you ministering to me? You revile me. And the enemy comes and stands before me and blasphemes my name because of your sin. And he says, look at him. This is the one. You had such high hopes in Joel. Look at him. And the enemy mocks God's name because of me. And God has to stand there. God has to stand there and say nothing because he's right. The enemy is right. When I return to my vomit like a dog or a sow to my wallow and the filth that he drug me out of, I blaspheme the name of God. I give the enemy opportunity to make fun and mock God. And it's all my fault. And I'm done with that. I don't ever want the enemy to mock my God's name because of my actions, no matter how small I think they are. I'm not trying to beat you down this morning. I'm trying to set you free. I want you to be set free from the stuff that's followed you around. Those old sins that try to pull you back. Listen, life's hard. And when things get stressful, sometimes our physical being, we can't help that. It's in our chemical makeup. We want an endorphin release. We tend to go back to the things that we used to know. Our old habits. Learn some new habits. There are some things we can do. I'm just trying to set you free this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's all I'm asking you. Think about it. Consider it. The next time it comes up, guys, I'm talking to you men. Men are visual. <clears throat> you know, they see a beautiful woman. It stimulates something, and we can't deny that. That is a scientific fact. But we've learned that we can turn our heads we don't have to look at a woman in lust. We're not animals. We're not debased beings, especially a spirit-filled believer. I have the ability to turn my head. In the book, uh, <clears throat> Every Man's Battle, he talks about it being called bouncing your eyes. You just learn to bounce your eyes. It becomes a habit. And instead of you looking and watching a woman walk past, you bounce your eyes. It can be done. It can be done. Trust me. He would not tell us it could be done if it couldn't be done. When you're tempted to do that, 
don't do it. God told Cain that sin lied at the door, crouching like a predator waiting to devour him. And it said that that sin, its desire is for you, Cain. And he, looked at, he told Cain straight up, he said, you rule over that thing, Cain. God wouldn't have told Cain to rule over it if he couldn't have. You're a blood-bought, spirit-filled believer this morning. I know you can rule over that sin, whatever that little petty sin is. Women, what is it for you? You can rule over that. You know, women, God love them. They're caught in a vicious cycle, men. Understand. They're thrown into a world where you have to be picture perfect. You have to look perfect. You have to talk perfect. You have to walk perfect. Everything has to be perfect. And that puts women in direct competition with each other. It's so much insecurity in that. It's unbelievable. It's straight from the pit of hell what women have to deal with on a daily basis. TV, news, at school, at work. Well, what's so-and-so going to wear to work today? I don't know. I bet she's going to be dressed to the nines. Well, I don't have that kind of money to buy that. Listen, guys, we don't think like that. You know? Oh, you get some new work boots? Yeah. All right, then. Where'd you get them at? I'd like to get them. There's no competition about that. Men don't care. But women are inundated every moment of the day, TV, radio, internet, and they're ripping each other apart. Women that should be standing together, especially godly Christian women, banding together. If someone on there is being a bully, call them out. Call them out. But that's a sin. When you go and you tear down another woman, you're over there in those corners. Well, you know, she's dressing. They used to dress like that 20 years ago. Somebody needs to cue her in on the fashion police, you know, blah, blah, blah. You see the shoes she's wearing? She needs some Louis Redbottom shoes. I don't know why she's wearing those Walmart specials. She can't afford $400 for a pair of pumps. That's why. Who made you? We're all buck naked at the foot of the cross with all of our ugliness. Every one of us, man, woman, child, we're all there. But the enemy gets us and, and we, get, we fall into that stuff. I'm telling you right now, men, I'm telling you, when you're looking at that woman and you lust after her, You've just slept with her. Jesus said, I didn't say that. Jesus did. Women, when you're up there and you're like, oh, so-and-so, so-and-so. You just stuck a sword through her heart. You shed her blood just as true and surely as if you did it physically. You murdered her character. We have got to band together. We have got to come together and fight the sin that tries to easily beset us. I'm trying to set you free. The Holy Spirit's here. He's beckoning. He's begging you. God's heart is bleeding. I don't ever want to be that guy. Wrath comes upon us because it's consequential. Now, there's a time when God is pouring out his wrath on the earth. Do you think God's really going to enjoy revelation? Do you ever think about that? Because when I was a kid, it was, oh, God's this big guy. He doesn't have a sense of humor. You know? He's got a big white beard and a big robe. 
when he walks, it sounds like thunder. Because that's what it says in the Bible. When you're a kid, that's what you think. And God's always angry. He never has a good day. That's not my God. It says he sings over me. He rejoices over me. And the words, the Hebrew words that talk about that are words where God is jumping around like these little children over here and shouting and singing over me because I once was lost. Now I'm found, and my daddy wants to give me good gifts, but my sin, my iniquity has separated me from my God. That's what it says in in Isaiah. We just read it. God's not going to enjoy revelation, y'all, when it happens, when it comes. See, as an adult, and I begin to study the word very in depth, I begin to see so much of God's mercy. The themes of God's goodness and mercy are so much greater than those of wrath. Could it be, could it be because of the limitedness of my intellect, what we call God's anger and wrath is really God's heartache? Could it be what you see as God's anger and have been thought your whole life, it's the anger of the Lord kindled? I don't think so. I think it's the heart of God broken and his hand is withdrawn into his chest. And he's in pain. He hurts. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and he pleaded. He said, I would have taken you and cuddled you like a mama hen. But you, you, he said, you would not. Jerusalem wouldn't let it happen because of their hard, impotent heart. Means unrepentant, unwilling to change. You can repent. Repent means to come and go a different way. You can't come here and repent and go do the same things and be repentant. It's not possible. So if you've been struggling with sin, I'm telling you today, you can come to this altar, you can repent right where you're at, but you need to get this thing straight. Understand the enormity of what happens when we fall back into our old sins. Just understand as a believer, you are setting yourself up to step out from under that umbrella of God's hand and the wrath is pouring out and your heart gets pierced, his his heart's pierced through. Well, I, I got a feeling y'all gonna be limping when you leave here and beat up and bruised. I'm sorry about that. But I'm telling you right now, there's no way past it. There's no way around it. There's no way over it or under it. Gotta go through it. Gotta go through it. God, I'm not gonna give up. Satan, I put you on notice now. Doesn't matter how hard it gets or how bad it gets. If I got to drag myself forward with dirty fingernails, with dirt and grass in my mouth, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to stop fighting my flesh. There's too much at stake. It's not my intent to send you away from here feeling bad about yourself. It's my intent to send you away from here with a new revelation that God wants to bless you but our sin has consequence. It breaks God's heart and it exposes us to wrath. Stand to your feet and we'll pray. 
And I think pastor's going to come. So. <clears throat> I could have kept going, but God said, y'all been beat on enough. Truthfully, I'm not telling you something that God hasn't already dealt with me about. I'm telling you right now. You know, it's interesting. You talk about Jacob in the Bible, and it says he wrestled with God all night. The angel of the Lord came, and, and God touched the hollow of his thigh and said he walked with a limp the rest of his life. He didn't walk the same. When we're touched by God, we don't walk the same. A.W. Tozer, I've got one of his books up here, and I read his stuff through several times. I've read four of his books, and, you know, he has just this eloquent way. I was turning my daughter, Abby, Abigail, on to him. She's like, wow, where did that come from? I was like, A.W. Tozer's book, That Incredible Christian. And the thing of it is is that A.W. Tozer says that it's not about theology, it's not about a head knowledge. What you are in need of, he said, is an arresting encounter with God. You ever watch cops? <laughs> when they arrest somebody, it ain't pretty. It's not all, oh, taking me to jail? Yes. Could you put your hands behind you? Why, sure, kind sir. I'll put my hands behind me. Let me put these cuffs on. Hope they're not too tight, old, old boy. That's not the way it goes. They throw that dude on the ground, put the knee in his back, and stuff some cuffs on him. He's got dirt in his mouth. I'm telling you right now, that's the way I felt just about every time I had an encounter with God. It's like he just balled me up in a knot, throwed me on the ground, put his knee in my back, and said, is this really the way you want to live forever? I'm sorry. That's just the way it has been with me. I hear people talking about some things. I'm like, that's really not what I see in the Bible. That's really not been my personal experience. So an arresting encounter will undo you. It will unravel you. But he's trying to take you apart because he wants to build you back true and straight and strong. Deliverance through deconstruction. You know, when Joshua talks about that God told him to build an altar with stones over which no man had yielded, wielded an iron tool, whole stones, he said. I want stones. God wants to build in you something that's never been touched by human hands. All the stuff you've built in the past, God wants to just take it down and say, let's start over with my stones. Not stones you've cut. Some of them were good ideas, but they led you to here, which was a bad idea. Deliverance through deconstruction, the ministry of the night. God wants to tear down all that mess out of your life and rebuild you strong. Not because he wants to bring you through pain and anguish, but he wants to deliver you, set your feet on a broad path. I prayed back there this morning. I was praising God. I was like, your voice, God, you thunder from heaven. Your, your ear is open to my cry. And your voice splits the cedars of Lebanon. At your voice, the mountains melt before me, God. That's the kind of God we serve. That's what he wants to do for you. But you limit God. 
Your iniquities have separated you from him. Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless your people, God, right now. I pray that the words I've said would not bring condemnation, God, but they would bring deliverance. You said that we would know the truth and it would set us free. Well, God, that means knowing by personally experiencing the truth. I pray that they have personally experienced your truth this morning, that our sins separate us from you. Help us, God, to walk as holy men and women of God. The world is lost and dying and scared. It's afraid, Lord. Now, we have the answer. We have the answer, Lord. Help us, Father, to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we have been called. Help us to walk circumspectly, carefully, not as fools, redeeming the day. The times are short, God. The hour's at hand. The hour has always been at hand because man's life is limited, Lord. Our life appears for a little while like a vapor and vanishes away. There is urgency in every generation, God. It has no difference about the passing of time or the end of the age. Every generation is the end of the age for that generation, Lord. Help us to have urgency. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Brother Joel, I don't feel beat up at all. I believe that God has just pulled back a veil this morning and give us a revelation. See, the Bible says that when we come together, I preached on this last week, some has a psalm, some has a hymn, some has a revelation, some has tongues, interpretation, those things. I believe that what God has done this morning has showed us a revelation of a concept that most people's not aware of. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm sitting over there weeping. Because it breaks my heart to know that I've hurt God like that. The times that I've hurt him. And I'm sitting there saying, God, I'm sorry for the times that I've hurt you. That I broke your heart. Instead of your hand upholding me and covering me, you're holding your heart. And I believe that's a revelation of, of what God is doing that it, it hurts him because I know being a father how I feel towards my children and God's the same way he said uh, if a child asks for an egg the, the father doesn't give him a stone if he asks for a piece of bread he doesn't give him a serpent and if you being evil knows how to give good gifts to your children how much more does your father in heaven want to do good things for you you see so I understand being a father how much God wants to do for you and I. But we prevented in Joel. I, I don't feel beat up at all. I feel enlightened and informed. I feel like I've received a revelation from God that's going to change the way I view the temptations that face me. Because I don't want, to, I don't want Satan to have the opportunity to blaspheme my God because of me. So I pray that God has touched your heart this morning like he has mine. Not that I'm living in some kind of gross sin, and I don't think you are either, but we're all tempted with sin. And when we are, I think we're going to look at it differently because we've heard this word this morning. Amen. I'm speaking about for myself. Thank you, Joel, for being obedient to the Lord and obedient to his word. And, and for being faithful through the things that God has walked you through. I've walked with Joe for many years now, Joe, and I've been... 47 years 
we've walked as friends as family brothers in Christ and I've saw the things he saw the things I've gone through I've saw the things that he's gone through and some has been tough but faithfulness has brought him to where he's at and he brought that revelation this morning thank you thank you Joel I appreciate that so much brother how many of you just going to take a moment and just bow your head if you would right where you are and do as I've done it's like God I'm sorry God I'm sorry I am for the times that I let you down for the times that the enemy stood and pointed his finger at you and mocked you because of me forgive me Lord God give us a contrite heart because you said anyone that comes to you with a contrite heart and a broken spirit you will in no wise turn away and I believe it's in those moments that you take your hand out of your bosom and you wrap it around us and you you pull us to yourself and you hold us you know I'll never forget the time I went to the district council and I was broken I was so weary and tired I just wanted to quit and I didn't even want to go to the district council and I thought well I belong to the district I'm ordained I should be there and I went and I remember they sang the songs everybody's worshiping I felt absolutely nothing Joel I was numb I felt nothing man got up and preached I was not moved at all I was just done I was done and then they call for pastors you know, call for people to come to the altar for prayer and I thought well because I'm getting ready to resign CVAG after that district council my intentions was to come back turn in my resignation I was done I thought, well, I should at least go for prayer and maybe let them know what I'm going to do or whatever. And so I just walked up, stood in front of the altar, and Dr. Roden, he's the district superintendent, was still standing on the platform. They had ministers lined up, people being prayed for, and he's standing there. He doesn't even look at me. He just turns around. He walks down the steps, walked over right in front of me. just wrapped his arms around me and began to weep. He never said a word. I didn't say a word. He just began to sob. And I began to weep. He let go of me. Walked back up on the platform, Joe. And without a word being spoken, God did something in my heart that gave me the strength and the courage and the, and the desire to carry on. And what I'm saying to you, church, is when you get to that place where you, all you just want is God, and you don't know what else to do. I think sometimes God brings us to a place where we just give up and God says, now I can use you. Because you're going to work in my strength and my power now instead of your own. And he wants to just take his right hand and pull you to himself and just hold you. So, Father, this morning, if I could just speak on behalf of us all, Lord.
God, we're sorry for the times that we broke your heart. We're sorry for the times that the enemy pointed at you and mocked you because of us, Lord. We ask for your forgiveness, Lord. And as an act of contrition and an act of repentance, Lord, may we have this revelation in our spirit now that when we're faced with that temptation again, we understand the magnitude of what we're getting ready to do if we yield to that temptation, Lord. And may it give us a strength, Lord, to say, no, the enemy will not mock you today because of me. And it gives us the strength, the revelation to turn from that, Lord. And then, Father, those this morning, Lord, that they're in that place, God, I pray that you just hold them tight to your bosom, Lord. And you do for them what you did for me that day, Lord. When I just needed someone just to understand. To, I, don't, I don't even know what. I don't even know what happened that day. But I know, God, that you did a, a miraculous thing without a word ever being spoken. And God, you, you can do that this morning. I pray, that, Lord, if there's somebody in here morning, this morning, they feel absolutely nothing, Lord. They were not moved by this message at all. God, I pray that you help them to look at their heart. Because this should have touched them in some way. Search our heart, oh God, to see if there be any unclean thing in me. Test me and prove me, Lord. I ask in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, we thank you for our time together. Lord, we thank you for the revelation that you've given us today. God, I ask that as we leave this place, Lord, God, we walk in newness of life, Lord, and you bless every home that's represented here today. Father, I pray that you make it a place where the Holy Spirit is welcome, Lord, and the Holy Spirit will be there and minister to families today. Lord, there are families that are struggling married couples that are struggling lord i pray that you strengthen them god lord help them to fall in love with each other all over again lord like when they were courting and they were dating god whatever differences that they have god i pray that you heal those things lord draw them together strengthen men and their wives today lord parents and their ch children lord if there's something going on lord between mom and dad and their children god i pray that you heal that today in jesus name lord God, if there's something going on between siblings, Lord, brothers and sisters, they're not getting along. God, heal that today, I pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, those that are walking alone, God, they're looking for that right person. God, I pray that you help them to find their mate, Lord, so that they can walk that journey together, Lord. And if they're happy, Lord, to live without a mate, God, then, Lord, you be their comfort, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus, I Gospel is freedom. We live.